Hope you have your Bibles with you. If you do, if you'd open them up to Exodus chapter 20. And while you're opening them, let me tell you about a story that happened years ago in New England with a young pastor of a church. Middle of winter, he skated his way to church along the frozen roads. And when he got there, he didn't realize that he had created an uproar in the church. See, the elders thought that he broke the Sabbath. And they began to passionately debate what should they do about this? What should their ruling be with this young pastor who skated a church? And here's what they came up with. True story. The pastor could skate to church, but he wasn't allowed to enjoy it. <clears throat> True story. We're on the fourth commandment, the commandment about the Sabbath, and it is the most controversial of all the commandments. This, this commandment has split churches, split denominations. It is potentially a very di- divisive commandment. So I want to do a couple things this morning to guard our hearts and our minds, to prepare us to really begin looking, I think, in a fuller way at what this Sabbath commandment really means. Two things. First of all, let me remind you very importantly, you love me, right? I'm reminding you of that. You care about me. I'm your favorite pastor this morning, preaching. Thank you, Renee. That was so convincing. So whatever happens after this sermon, you, you do remember that, right? That you, you do love me, and if you don't, I'm going to pray for God's judgment upon you. Whatever. But the second and more important and more serious one is this. Let's go to Romans 14, and you can see it behind me. Now, friends... Listen, as we approach this potentially controversial subject, it's a command. It's one of the Ten Commands. Listen, if you think that the Sabbath is no longer a command for the church today, that's fine. You're going to see. You've got the freedom to believe that. Except now you have nine commandments, not ten. So let's approach this the way Paul teaches us to in Romans 14. Here's what he says. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. And then again in Colossians he writes, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of several things, and the last one being the Sabbath. Listen, if you believe that the Sabbath is still alive today, that's fine. That's your freedom to believe that. And if you believe the Sabbath is no longer as it was given to Israel alive today, that's your freedom. Go ahead and believe that, Paul says. But listen, he says, be fully convinced in your mind. In other words, live fully according to your conscience. Friends, don't let this belief either way cause disunity. And it has done that over and over. There's a reason that James says that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, is called the law of liberty. It's the law of freedom. It's not the law of prohibitions and rules and regulations that cause division. It's the law of liberty. Why? Because remember what we pounded into our minds the first sermon in this series? We are a freed people, but we're not a free people. We are freed so that we can love God with all of our heart, souls, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. The subject of the Sabbath command is so big, 
It is such a dominant theme in Scripture. It causes such controversy. Listen, honestly, it really should be several weeks in the pulpit. We're held accountable through the sermon-based small groups. I need to do this in one week. But it would be better if we had a lot of weeks to do this. So my hope is this, that we will provide today a basis of understanding of the significance of the fourth commandment for us today. In other words, is this command still relevant today? And if it is, how does it look? What's the Sabbath command look like today? That's my goal. And what we're going to do is what we've been doing and what we're going to do in this series, the subtitle of this series is how should the redeemed of God live? How should we, listen, don't you want to know that? Don't you want to know like I do, what does God want from us? How does he want us to live our lives? Friends, the answer is found in the Ten Commandments. And we're trying to dust them off and recover the moral laws that stands today. So here we go. We're going to start looking at Exodus chapter 20. And before we actually get into the points, let me draw your your attention to verse 8. Read it with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We've got to know what that word remember means because it probably means something a little bit differently than most of us understand. It means to mark. It means to mark something so that you will recognize it and not forget it. Now listen, I grew up in central New York. There were nothing but acres and acres and miles and miles of woods everywhere. And we had snowmobile trails. We had dirt bike trails all through miles and miles of woods. And the way that we mark those trails, because they're difficult to see in the winter, is you put little ribbons on the trees. We marked our trails to separate the trail that you can go on from the ones the farmers don't want you on. You take a highlighter to your Bible and you mark certain verses. What you're doing is you're setting those verses apart from the rest of the Bible, making your eye catch them so that you do not forget what struck you so powerfully. That's what it means to remember. And here's what God is saying right at the beginning. What are we to mark? He says to Israel, mark off the Sabbath day. One day a week and separate it from the other six days and make it holy, make it distinct. And look at verse 10, make it a day that is to the Lord your God. It's not a day for us. It wasn't a day for them to do whatever they want. They're a freed people. They're not a free people. They're free to live and worship and bring glory to God. The day was to be marked and kept distinct by making God the focus of our worship. So that's our introduction. That's what it's getting at right at the beginning. By the way, that's the command. Everything else is commentary on it. So let's get into the commentary and let's start looking at it. Number one, the Sabbath command was a gift from God. Now, friends, have you ever looked at it like that before? This was a gift. This was a gift from God, made by God, for the people of God. And Jesus hints at this in Mark chapter 2. He says this on the screen behind me. The Sabbath was made for man. Did you hear that? God made the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath. And He created the Sabbath to be a gift for man. To help men and women live life fully. 
Because this Sabbath for Israel was a gift that was reminding them. It was to help them remember to rest. Six days, Exodus 20 says in verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, not some of your work, not most of your work, all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You know what the word Sabbath means? Now most of us are going to say rest. Friends, that's not powerful enough. And if you literally translate it in the Hebrew, it means more than rest. It means to cease from labor. It's active, it's intentional, it's decisive. It's to not just rest, it's to stop laboring, stop working. It was a gift, it was a help for the people of Israel. Friends, they had been slaves. Israel were, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Slaves don't get a day off. They don't have a weekend. Every day masters want to be served. And Israel served daily for 400 years. And God never designed the body or any animal for perpetual work. You go down to Kentucky many, many years ago when donkeys and mules were used in the mines. And if you visited the countryside, you'll see all the mules out in the countryside one day a week, and it was always Sunday. And if you ask somebody that worked in the mines, how come the mules are all out in the fields? They would say this, that they're down in the mines for six days, and if they don't come up for one day, they quickly grow blind. Nothing in the body is meant for perpetual work and perpetual labor. In fact, a Greek proverb says, the bow that is always bent will cease to shoot straight. So God says in verse 10, on this day you shall not do any work. Now look what he says, very important. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the alien or sojourner who is within your gates. It just wasn't for masters, because here's what masters are going to be prone to doing. There's work to be done. There's money to be made. So I'm going to take the day off because I'm going to be obedient to this command, but servants, you're going to work. God says, no, it's for everybody in the family. It's for everybody in the community. All of Israel take that day and separate it from six days of work and learn to rest. It's my gift. You know what billionaire Bill Gates once said when he was asked why he didn't believe in God? He said, just in terms of allocation of time resources, this is so Gates, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Listen, he's not the only one with that attitude. We've got somebody in our church that has, I don't think he's taken a day off in six months from his job. And I can guarantee what's happening in his body is it's not shooting straight anymore. And I can tell you what's happening in his soul. It's beginning to dry up and to shrivel. We're not made for perpetual work. The whole community is to stop work and they were to stop together and at the same time. Now listen, the Sabbath was about faith. They were to stop even when it was illogical to stop, even when it was difficult. Here's what God says, Exodus 34, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And I grew up in a farm community. 
central New York. It was farmers, 2,000 people in our town, and most of them were farmers. The most important time are the spring time, are the, the seed planting time and the harvest time. And if you live in an agrarian society like Israel did, you've got a narrow window to plant your seed. You've got a narrow window to bring your crops in. You can't take a day off during those times. And God says, even in those times, rest, I'll provide, have faith. So the Sabbath was a gift of rest from our hard-working God, but it's been consistently distorted for centuries. You see, you can't blame the Jews for what had happened. Because, you see, the Jews knew from their own Old Testament scriptures, from their own people, they knew how easy it is for all of us to corrupt the Word of God. Listen, in Numbers, there was a man who said, I've got to pick up sticks. I've got to build a fire. And it was the Sabbath day, and he went out and did it, and the community saw him, and they put him in custody. And God said, listen, take the community and go out and stone him to death because I'm serious about my command because it's pointing to something very, very important. And they did. And the Jews knew how easy it is to corrupt this. So here's what they did. They protected the Torah. They protected the first five books of the Bible by building a fence around it. And that fence is called the Talmud. The Talmud is all, are all these, it's the collection of all these oral traditions. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, he's talking about the oral traditions, mainly written by the scribes and enforced by the Pharisees. And this Talmud, this fence around the law was meant so that no one could break into and distort and corrupt the law. Let me read it to you from one of the rabbis. The Torah is conceived as a garden and its precepts as precious plants. Such a garden is fenced around for the purpose of preventing willful or unattended damage. Likewise, the precepts of the Torah were to be fenced round with additional inhibitions that should have the effect of preserving the original commandments from trespass. But here's the problem. This fence gradually became on the level of authority of the Word of God. And listen, it actually became more authoritative than the Word of God. You see, they were given the command that we've already heard. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? They knew that it forbade work. But listen, here's the problem. What's work? How do you define work? So here's what they did just in the area of work. They created 39 classifications defining what work is. They're called the fathers of work. And each one of these 39 classifications are almost infinitely divided. So that finally what emerges from the Jews at the time of Christ were 1,521 rules and prohibitions against working on the, on the Sabbath. Here's a few examples. If you had a flea land on you and bite your arm on the Sabbath, you could not wipe the flea away or kill it. That would be breaking the Sabbath. Could a man reach down and pick up his child on the Sabbath? They deliberated that profusely. And finally what emerged was, yes, he could pick up his child on the Sabbath unless the child had a stone in his hand. Then he would be carrying a burden and that would be breaking the Sabbath. Can you tie a knot on the, on the Sabbath? Yes, 
they said, if it could be done with one hand. Can you stitch your clothes on a Sabbath? Sabbath, only if it required one stitch to get you through the following day. Today, we're large congregations of Jews live, hotels are programmed. I had somebody come up after the first service and says, hey, I was there once. I was in a hotel like this. Every floor, the the elevator stops so that you don't have to push any buttons on the Sabbath because they believe that when you push that button, it closes the electrical circuit, therefore, therefore violating one of the Sabbath commands. Now listen, it's easy for us to demean and laugh and mock the Jews, but this has been violated and more than just the Jews, all through the centuries, it spread beyond the Jews, even to Scotland, where one person was put into prison for smiling on the Sabbath. True story. The Puritans forbade shaving and combing their hair on Sundays. One sea captain in our own country up in New England came home from a two-year voyage. and He arrived back on a Sunday afternoon. He greeted his wife at the gate of his home and kissed her, which was illegal to do on the Sabbath, and the man was put into stocks. At the end of the sixth day of work, here's what God said in Genesis. He saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very, very good. Now, I emphasize that. He said it's very good, but I want you to see he was supremely satisfied. And then he rested the following day and he marked off that day from the six days of hard labor because here, friends, is what we need to take away. We image God when we work hard. Do you understand that? When people don't work, they refuse to work, they're desecrating the image of God. And when people refuse to rest, they desecrate the image of God because God rested one day and worked hard six And when we rest one day and work hard six, we image God in the same way. And the day of rest was more than just sitting around doing nothing. It was reflecting on God's hand of grace and mercy seen through the previous week. This is what they did. They didn't just sit around. You know what? When I was growing up, Sunday was major day. Here's what you did on Sunday in my family. You went to church Sunday morning. You went back to church Sunday evening. And all Sunday afternoon, you basically stayed in the house and found things to do, but it was to be quiet. Most of the spanks I ever received were on Sundays. I remember one Sunday in particular, I think I was in 11th grade, and my friends wanted to go see a new movie that had come out to the theater, and I so wanted to go see this movie, and I wanted to go to my dad, and I wanted to ask him, Dad, Can I do two things that I know never are done in the Ackley family? Can I not go to church tonight? And can I go see a worldly entertainment event on Sunday? And I was scared to death to ask him, so I did what was smart kids. Take notice and learn. Go to your mom and ask her to go to your dad. And I did. It was one of the most brilliant things I've ever done. And she went batting on my behalf to my father. And he shocked me when he said I could go. You just don't do that on the Sabbath. Sunday. I was filled with a sense of freedom and a sense of pounding guilt. You don't do this, but I'm free. That's how I grew up. 
Is that what it means to honor the Lord? Here's what it means to honor the Lord. It means that God looked at all that he had done with his hands and then he stepped back and marveled at it. He was satisfied at it. What would it be like, friends, if we took one day a week and learned to step back and look at God's creative hand of redemptive grace all through that prior week? You know what it would do in the people of God if we learned this discipline? It would fill our souls with new songs of praise and boasting. The Sabbath command for Israel was a gift to rest, but it was a gift for more than just that. It was a gift to remember their redemption. Now listen, just look at me for a second. If you want to flip forward, you can to Deuteronomy, or Exodus chapter 31. Actually, I am way out of line in my notes. Just stay right where you are. Here's Moses. He's about to die. And he knew it. How did he know it? Because God said, you're not going to go into the promised land. That was a price you got to pay for your disobedience. And they're right on the edge overlooking the river, looking at the promised land. And Moses knew his time had come. And he's got one more thing that he has got to do to the people that he has been leading. It's found in Deuteronomy 5, and that is where I would like you to turn. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Here's what he does while you're turning. He takes those Ten Commandments that he gave in Exodus chapter 20, and he gives them to the people again. It's the moral law. It's the commandment of God. But he makes a change, and I wonder if you've ever noticed the change. Friends, all nine of these Ten Commandments are nearly identical. But one commandment is wildly different. And it happens to be the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment. And while the Exodus version gave the basis for rest being God's pattern in the garden, where God's pattern when He created the world, now Moses says there's another basis for honoring the Sabbath commandment and you need to know it before you go into the promised land. Here's what it is. You shall remember, verse 15, Deuteronomy 5, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember, the Exodus version linked them back to their Creator's rhythm of work and rest. Now Moses links them to the fact that they have a Redeemer and God has brought them out even when they were a slave. They were to stop work. They were to cease labor one day a week. Now listen, separating it, making it distinct, marking it off from the other six days of the week. Why? So that they would remember that God bared His knuckles, which is what the Hebrew means, and bared His powerful arm and brought them out of bondage and slavery to Egypt. Now listen, take, take this concept of redemption. And now fast forward with me. Do you remember Jesus preaching and teaching in the synagogue one Sunday, one Saturday? And while he's there, there's this lady in the synagogue that was there and she was filled with a demon, a spirit of distress so badly that she was hunched over, she could not even straighten. Eighteen years she had been in captivity to this spirit. 
And Jesus is preaching, and then all of a sudden he stops and he walks over to this lady and he lays his hands upon her. And Luke 13 says, he said these words, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And all of a sudden, furiously, the synagogue ruler begins correcting Jesus. But like a coward, he won't speak to Jesus. He speaks to the people about Jesus. And he says, this stuff shouldn't happen on the Sabbath. You can wait and do that tomorrow. You know what Jesus says? Ought not this woman be loosed from this bond? Now listen, on the Sabbath day? Why did he say on the Sabbath day? I'll tell you why, because he's got... Deuteronomy 5 in mind, because the Sabbath was to be a time where you reflect on God's loving willingness to bring us out of bondage and redeem us from slavery. Of all days that we should celebrate and remember the freedom that God has given, it ought to be more than any other day, the Sabbath. And Israel was to regularly cease from work and they were to make a distinct day separating from the other six to remember that their God is a Redeemer God. But friends, listen, as is usual, this understanding eroded over time. Listen, the first time I ever preached a sermon down in Atlanta at the church where I was a youth pastor, I was so scared. Here's what I did the entire sermon. I'd never looked up. One of the elders after the sermon says, Pastor Tim, great sermon, but you never ever straightened up. I was like that woman that had the 18-year spirit of distress. I couldn't straighten up. I was so scared the pulpit was my protector. Jesus preached his first sermon, and it looked a whole lot different. In fact, Luke 4 captures what he said. Here's his first sermon in his public ministry. You ready? Here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now listen, I can never compete with a cute baby. Just pretend there are no babies ever. But you got to listen to the word. Bye, Christine. We love you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now get this. He sent me. This is Jesus' first sermon. He, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is why He came. And friends, to Israel, honoring the Sabbath was meant to maintain your focus on God's freedom. You know what happens according to Ezekiel when we forget to honor the Sabbath? Our hearts are filled with idolatry. Ezekiel links the two. Do you know what happened according to Jeremiah when we forget the Sabbath? We are taken into bondage in other countries and other nations. That's what Jeremiah links. There's something important for Israel about the Sabbath, and it was to remind them that God gave them a gift to rest, and finally, it was to remind them that God has redeemed them. But what else can we learn about the Sabbath commandment? Here it is. Ready? This is so important. The Sabbath commandment pointed forward to Christ and His work. The Sabbath commandment pointed forward to Christ and His work. Now let me take you through. This is where you've got to now engage your minds. You've really got to think. 
is I'm going to challenge you to really, really contemplate something that maybe is a little bit different from you or from your past or what you've viewed before in this. You see, the people, we already looked at this in our first, first sermon in this series. Do you remember that Moses had brought the people to the base of Mount Sinai? And God spoke the Ten Commandments, and unlike what many of us have thought, it wasn't a private audience with Moses. Deuteronomy says that all the people heard the words of the moral commandment as they were given. They heard God speak the Ten Commandments. In fact, it frightened them to death. They begged Moses, please, please, Moses, don't let God speak to us again. Let him speak to you. You go intercede. You go up the mountain and tell us what God said. And we're going to promise we'll do everything he says. Just please don't let him speak to us again. So here's what Moses does. He goes up the mountain to the darkness where God was. And while he's there, and if you flip in your Bible, you'll see it. While he's there, God begins to speak to Moses and teach him about the civil law. What's the civil law? Listen, if you're owning a slave and you get mad at your slave and punch your slave and knock his tooth out, you just punch his ticket to freedom. Let him go. Don't, dis, don't mistreat your slaves. And don't mistreat your animals. And don't mistreat one another. The civil law were the social laws. How can two million people live as the distinct people of God and actually love one another? Well, God tells Moses, here's what you're to do. Here's the civil law. Laws. Now listen, catch this with me. He's already given the moral law. Now he's given them the civil law, the social laws. And during that time in Exodus 23, we see God reiterating the Sabbath as part of the civil law. Listen, it's important, people, God is saying, to take one day and make it distinct, separate it from the rest, work hard and rest well, because if you don't, you're not going to be loving one another. And then Moses comes back down the mountain. Now, a lot of us think he was up there for 40 days. Not yet. Friends, listen, he came back down from the mountain. And he grabs Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel. And God says, bring them up on the mountain. But before you do, go explain to the people the civil laws that I just taught you. So Moses does. And when he's finished, he brings those three and the 70 elders up on the mountain along with Joshua. And they get up on the mountain and all of a sudden the elders and all of them saw what looked like sapphire underneath the feet of God. It was spellbinding. And God says, leave them here. And Joshua and Moses, you come up higher because my cloud of glory is at the top of the mountain. You keep coming up. And so they did. And finally God said, Joshua, you stay here. And Moses, you come into the cloud. And Moses does. And now he's there for 40 days. And what God is now doing, and it's recorded in the Scripture in, in uh, Exodus, now God's teaching them the, him the ceremonial law. How do you build the tabernacle so that you can worship me? How do you dress priests? How do you make yourselves pure? What festivals do you honor so that you can be the holy, distinct people of God? I've already given you the moral law. I've given you the civil law. Now I'm giving you the ceremonial aspect of the law. Here's how you be holy. You see those distinctions in Leviticus 26. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between Him and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Now flip with me, if you would, to Exodus 31, because it's something very important. 
And let's just wade right into the controversy. Exodus 31 and verse 13, we read this, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you, make you holy. In verse 16, therefore, the people of who? Say it louder. The people of who? Shall keep the Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath throughout whose generations? Their generations as a covenant forever. Verse 17, it is a sign forever between me and who? Repeatedly, God stresses that the Sabbath law was for the people of Israel. It was a sign of His covenant with them that they would be His holy, set-apart people. Now listen, friends, it's a sign, meaning this. If you go to Orlando, Florida, and you hit the top part of the northern part of Florida, and you see a sign that says, Orlando, this way, 200 miles, that's a sign that's not yet your destination. The sign is pointing you to your destination. You're not there yet when you see the sign. The sign is trying to get you there. And the Sabbath law, in the ceremonial and in the civil use of it, was a sign, and in the moral, a sign to get people to a destination. And here's the destination, Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Regarding a Sabbath, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath was a shadow. It wasn't the reality. The reality came in Christ. The Sabbath was to move people to Christ. The Sabbath rest was to point forward that God's got a better rest in mind. He's got a rest that's coming that's going to give rest to your souls as well as your bodies. Now friends, listen. This is so important. When Christ came... And he died on that cross. He abolished the civil law of the Sabbath by making the payment for Sabbath breakers. That's why we don't stone Sabbath breakers. He paid the penalty on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he fulfilled the ceremonial law of the Sabbath. We cannot obey the word to become holy anymore. We never could. We never could keep it. So God obeyed it through His Son Jesus perfectly and died a perfect death for us, making us holy when we put our trust and our faith in Him. The Sabbath could not and cannot make you holy. The Old Testament Sabbath pointed to the full and final rest that can only be found in Christ. Friends, there's no need to work and to labor and to strive for your salvation. We need to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is why He invites anyone and everyone, come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath language rest. We rest in Christ. We don't have a need to strive for our salvation. We depend on the work of Christ Himself on the cross. So listen, here's where I'm going. If we continue to observe the civil and the ceremonial aspect of the Sabbath law, we're in effect saying, Jesus, your rest is not complete. Your rest is not sufficient. I've got to add into it, it is disregarding 
the death of Jesus Christ. Now listen, you don't have to agree with me. That's the beauty. You know how many pastors tell you that? What they usually say is, you don't have to agree with me. You can choose to be wrong. I'm not even saying that. You don't have to agree. You can be free in this. But if you agree, agree fully with your conscience and live out what you're saying. I fully live out what I believe. And here's what I believe. Jesus Christ no longer holds the civil and ceremonial aspect of the Sabbath over us, but he preserves the moral. Let me prove it. Exodus 31, verse 18, God gave to Moses, it says, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, two tablets of the testimony, listen, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Why did God write the moral law on stone? He could have written it on papyrus. Egypt was famous for the production of papyrus. There were other writing materials. And why did his own finger write it? It's because the law of God, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is enduring today. And it's the infallible, trustworthy Word of God. Listen, the civil law, it's not written on stone. The ceremonial law is not written by the finger of God on stone. The moral law is. The moral law endures today so if you dust off the sabbath command what emerges today for us christians in the church in other words how does the fourth commandment apply to us today listen that's the question everybody's waiting for right what does the command look like to us well here's what one person said he said Christ's saving work has transformed the weekly Sabbath. It's no longer the seventh day. It's the first, and it's no longer called the Sabbath, but the Lord's Day. And what they're arguing is that the early church in the New Testament deliberately moved off of Saturday, removed itself from the Sabbath, and moved it into the Lord's Day, which was, which was meeting on the first day of the week. B.B. Warfield put it this way, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's Day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. What's important, I think, is that we relearn the moral reason that God gave us the Sabbath and begin applying it to our lives today as we live together in redemptive community. So how does it apply today? Well, listen, if I were now to give you rules and regulations and prohibitions, I would be destroying the moral law. You can't legislate yourself to the moral law. I can't tell you that you could drive to church as long as you only have one hand on the wheel. What does it mean for us today? Well, let's take the moral application and close the service with these principles. Number one, listen, it should be, it always has been, a regular, consistent day of the week. that is distinct from the rest of the week, that is marked off from the rest of the week for the purpose of rest. Well, you might immediately say, what if my job, I'm a nurse, what if I work every other weekend on a Saturday and I, or on a Sunday and I can't make it to church on that Sunday? Listen, you're not talking about the moral law. If you can't make it to church on Sunday, that's fine. Set a different day that week and mark it distinct from the rest of the week. Don't do your regular work. Think, reflect, worship and recreate and rest somebody asked me last night well you know sunday is the day where i do my laundry 
I work a job all day, all week, and I, the only time I've got left is laundry time on Sunday. And I said, you know what? Great. What a great way to do laundry, reflecting that God's blood through His Son has washed every stain from your soul. You can worship while you launder. Why are no women looking kindly at me? It's to be a day that sets us apart from the world. Listen, i got to tell you something. There was not another nation on the globe of this earth at the time of Israel that had a Sabbath day. It was brand new created for Israel. Every other nation worked every day. They didn't have weekends. I went to Haiti years ago, and it was the most bizarre, surreal experience because about a week in, I was there for two weeks, all of our group noticed, listen, there's no weekend. Every day is the same, and that's almost always the same in impoverished countries. Israel alone had the Sabbath. It was a gift to God's people from a loving God, and it set them apart from everybody else in the world. So listen, we don't get to Sundays and say, finally, my day. I could do what I want, what I couldn't do the other six days of the week. We're a freed people. We're not a free people to ourselves. We're free to worship God. We're free to make God the center so that it's a day to the Lord. That doesn't mean you sit around in your Bible all day. That means you have fun for God's glory. It means you enjoy your family for God's glory. It means you worship with your church for God's glory. And you might even study the Bible to God's glory. But it's a day that sets you apart from the world. You know, in our great-great-grandfather's days, this was called the Holy Sabbath. In our grandfather's days, it was called the Sabbath. In our father's days, it was called Sunday. Today is called weekend. There's always been a progression away from keeping a day distinct from the, for the Lord and making it to the Lord. That is being obliterated all around us. So how do we recover it? It should be a day, friends, listen, where we step back, step back with our families like God did and look over what God has done this last week and look at the hand of blessings in our lives, look at all the mercies that have been new every morning and let us stir in our souls to finally erupt in praising, which means boasting about our God. What a great day, even though we do that all week, what a great day to do that out of rest rather than out of the rhythm of work. Can you imagine, friends, listen, can you think about where you would be if Christ did not redeem you? If you were still in the Egypt of your sin, bond slaves to your flesh. That alone sets this day of worship and reflection of God's redemptive power to a different, distinct level. It should be a day that moves our eyes forward to the Sabbath rest that remains. And let me teach this briefly. Listen, this is not our Sabbath rest. The Bible says in Hebrews, that's coming. There's a day where we are going to be on the other side of eternity and we will be resting in Christ 
perfectly for eternity. We're not at the Sabbath rest. We're at the time of being called out to the fields of the kingdom of God and laboring and serving. So what a great day to help somebody that's in need. What a great opportunity to go help somebody that's in bondage, calling them, encouraging them, praying with them, supporting them. It's what the Sabbath was for. To reflect on our redeeming God. Friends, the fourth commandment is part of the law of liberty. It's a law of freedom. Please don't be shackled into legalism. Let grace rule the day, literally, and make that day distinct from the other six days of your week and learn to rest, learn to reflect, learn to let the Redeemer God remind you of what His hand is up to in your life and let it move your eyes forward. One day I'm going to rest forever. It's time to get working harder than I ever have for the kingdom of God. Let that day a week be a, be a day that your soul finds deeper rest in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your gift. Lord, it was a gift then. It's still a gift. And Lord, you have rescued us from the legalism of this day. And you have shown us that you have abolished the civil aspect of the Sabbath, and you have fulfilled the ceremonial aspect of it. Lord, what remains of what was written on stone is the moral aspect of the Sabbath. We need rest, and we need a day where we reflect and slow down and refresh our souls in Christ. Lord, I pray that those of us who do not do this well, and I am certainly one of them, Father, that we would take this seriously and we would make changes for your glory in our lives, changes that will enable us and help us to live in a way that is even more productive, more satisfying, and more meaningful for the kingdom of God. Or keep our eyes on the Sabbath rest that is to come and encourage us. And in Jesus' name, amen.